and welcome to On A Lighter Note podcast, a place to learn all about perinatal mental health. I'm your host, Frankie, a peer support worker from Light. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today we have Carrie Griffiths Mullins, did just get that name wrong, so <laughs> got it right that time. And Kerry is a training organiser at IDAS. So Kerry, we sort of met um, through some training that I'd done recently through Light. Um, tell me, tell us a bit more about who you are and what IDAS does. Yeah, fab, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, so IDAS stands for Independent Domestic Abuse Services. Um, so we're a domestic abuse charity, uh, one of the largest and the leading domestic abuse charity in Yorkshire. So we're based obviously in Sheffield, yeah. uh, where we're the commission service mm-hmm. from the Sheffield City Council to provide our advice and support to clients who've experienced domestic abuse, but also to for, uh, provide training to professionals. And we're also uh, based in Barnsley in South Yorkshire and then based across York and North Yorkshire as well. So it's quite a big mm. portion of Yorkshire that we cover. Yeah. Um, but the work that we do obviously involves providing that, that sort of hands-on, one-to-one mm. support to survivors. We offer group work, um, coffee mornings and things like that, more sort of group support. Um, We can help our clients to find safe accommodation. Um, If they're fleeing domestic abuse, Mm -hmm. for example, we can help them to find space in a refuge for themselves and their children, if that's going to be appropriate for them, Mm. or dispersed accommodation in the community, if that's going to be better. Mm. Or, you know, sometimes the clients we support would rather stay where they are, stay in their home. And in that case, we can help them to stay safe there as well through helping them with safety planning, providing them with safety equipment and so on. Um, so my role at IDAS is, rather than being client-facing, I'm more sort of professional-facing. Yeah. We train professionals on how to spot the signs of domestic abuse, how mm-hmm. to address it with clients, how to support their disclosure in a, in a supportive way, and then mm-hmm. what to do with that disclosure. Yeah. So where to refer it on to, how to yeah. help that client get the support that, mm-hmm. that they need. Um, so that's my role, really, in yeah. a nutshell. And... So domestic abuse, I think, um, we were just sort of talking about this and I talked a lot to my colleagues about it when we finished the training. I think it's very common to have this idea of what domestic abuse is and and the most sort of, the one that most of us thought about was physical abuse. Mm -hmm. That's domestic abuse. And actually doing the training, you realise actually there's so many other things, there's so much more to it than just violence. Um, what are some of the signs, the sort of less lesser known signs of domestic abuse that, that you see? Yeah, that's really important to, to start with, I guess, to kick off. It's how we sort of start all of our training yeah. sessions yeah. with the fact that domestic abuse isn't just physical abuse. Mm-hmm. Certainly when we think of domestic abuse, we might think of someone being kicked or punched mm-hmm. or, you know, real quite severe forms of, of um, physical abuse, like strangulation and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and that, I guess, is what we would consider domestic violence. And the reason we tend to call mm. it domestic abuse is because mm. there's so many other ways that the abuse can present that might not be physical. So mm. psychological forms of yeah. abuse, like we talk a lot about coercive control. This is something that's starting to become more and more understood. Mm. So coercive control is essentially where uh, the perpetrator of domestic abuse tries to uh, maintain dominance over their victim. They'll put in mm. place rules and regulations about what they are and aren't allowed to mm. do. Mm. So controlling you know, things like what they wear and yeah. what food they're allowed to eat, when they can sleep, who yeah. they can see. All the sort of really day-to-day decisions mm. that you or I should be able yeah. to make of our own accord. And then the coercive side of um, coercive control would be 
um, the threat or the punishment of what's mm. going to happen if you don't go along with what the perpetrator is mm. telling you to do. So maybe there is a threat of violence if you don't do what I'm telling you, mm. or maybe there's a threat of harm to children or mm. other people. Maybe there's threats to share personal information, medical mm. information, mm. Um, and things like that. So it's about keeping the victim living in a climate of terror about what's mm. going to happen to them if they don't go along with what the perpetrator is telling them to do. So obviously that can have a huge impact on a victim's life. And many of the mm. clients that we support who've experienced coercive control say that it's actually, it, it can feel worse than the physical abuse mm. because it can, it can cover every aspect of their life. It can yeah. lead them to feel that they don't have any freedom. They can lose mm. their sense of self, their, their identity. Mm. Um, so coercive control is a really important one to be aware of. Mm. And then you've obviously got forms of abuse like financial abuse. Mm. So, you know, taking someone's money away from them or putting them on an allowance that is generally not going to be enough to live on, to support yeah. themselves and maybe their children. Um, stopping them from having access to benefits that they're entitled to and things like that so they can't be financially independent yeah um we talk a lot about you know there's forms of sexual abuse that can take place um, mm. in these intimate relationships maybe yeah. in families um and emotional abuse is something that mm. we we hear about such a lot um emotional abuse belittling somebody criticizing mm. them insulting them yeah um, gaslighting so we hear gaslighting yeah. as a term used quite regularly gaslighting is essentially where Oh, oh, excuse me. Um, the perpetrator essentially tries to make the victim feel that the things they've experienced didn't really happen and trying yeah. to make them feel like they're going mad. Yeah. So very often what we'll see is that a perpetrator actually uses a number of these tactics. Yeah. They'll rarely use just kind just of one, just physical yeah. violence or just coercive control. It will generally be a pattern of different mm. behaviours. Mm. And the aim of all of these behaviours is to achieve that dominance over mm. the victim um, and make sure they, they don't feel like they have any kind of freedom in mm. the relationship. Um, so yeah, really important to bear in mind, it's not just the physical yeah. abuse that we're talking about. Yeah, I think when we were doing the training, I really started to think about um, situations where maybe there's, you know, a couple pregnant and planning their birth and, and you know, it could be the dads of the baby is sort of saying, actually, no, I want my mum to be at the birth or, I, you know, I want it to be a hospital birth and this, and obviously everyone has to be involved in certain decision making but very sort of actually this is how it's going to be and then even once baby's born you know this is what baby's going to do this is how it's going to be this is who's going to look after them this is who's not and and I have seen cases where mum birthing person hasn't been able to make certain decisions mm -hmm. but thought oh no you know dad's involved dad's you know he's getting into it but actually it's been taken away from mum those choices have been really taken away from her and she's in quite a vulnerable place mm -hmm. and she's sort of thinking this is great support but actually I think there's maybe another level to it is that anything that you've sort of seen you've experienced or all those that you work with have yeah absolutely I mean I think as, as you've mentioned you know the time during pregnancy mm. and after birth is a time of, of yeah. vulnerability potentially of isolation mm. and the opportunities for control mm. are, are really sort of present there obviously when you know baby's been born the decisions that are made should be made mm. jointly between the parents. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's a, it's a fine balance, isn't it, of making mm. sure that each partner's needs are being met, each person feels that they're being mm. heard and listened to, mm. that they have an equal say 
in what's happening in the relationship and also in the, the yeah. care of their child. Yeah. Nobody should made to be made to feel that they, they don't have any sort of say in what happens, particularly yeah. you know when it's mum who's actually gone through the birth and so on. So I think what's really important and probably a big part of, of what you do is mm. giving that person the space to talk yeah. about these things and consider these things. Do yeah. I feel that I'm being heard? Do I feel yeah. that my needs are being taken seriously? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And again, something that I have seen is that financial control, usually primary caregiver who is not at work and is at home, has been mum in the cases that I've seen and, you know, dad or is out at work and there can be those conversations of actually, no, you don't need to go back to work, you can stay at home with mm-hmm. baby, I'll give you an allowance and and sometimes that absolutely works for families and that is the decision that they have come to but I have known there have been times where actually I don't think that that has been the most healthiest way to do it and there's been a lot of control over that person because of the finances and the way that that has been decided usually by dad who is the one that is going out working Mm -hmm. um and I think you know you sort of see it differently after the training I really sort of saw those situations quite differently yeah again it needs to be a joint decision yeah. doesn't it? it's a big yeah. decision for a household to say mm. are we okay to survive on one yeah. salary you know particularly at the moment with yeah. the cost of living crisis it's yeah. going to be quite tight for yeah. most families isn't it and you know there's there is a benefit to having both parents going out to work in yeah. some capacity yeah um not just obviously the financial benefit benefit but for mum as well yeah. she might find it beneficial to get back to work yeah. and again it's it's you know what does mum want to do yeah nobody should be making that decision on her behalf yeah. and as you've mentioned you know sometimes it might be that there is um you know the allowance situation mm. does work well mm. you know and every, um, everyone's got enough mm. money to live on the yeah. children are cared for mum has enough to mm. support herself mm. and um and you know and do nice things yeah. as well not just yeah. making um the bare minimum yeah but those kinds of situations can quickly become controlling and mm. it's something that I think it's really important mm. to be aware of and be keeping an eye on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just think there's so many scenarios that it it can be coercion, it can be control, it can be abuse, but it can also just so easily be swept under the rug of like, oh no, this is just how it is, or this is just how we're doing it for now, or he thinks or she thinks it's best to be just... I think it can be so easily just glossed over you know, and that's you know, gaslighting itself. So mm-hmm. that that person, that that victim, that survivor is sort of sat there thinking, "Is this a? Mm-hmm. Oh no, it's not. Oh no, it's fine." And um, yeah, you realise how easy it is to slip down that route to become in a in an abusive relationship or yeah. Or and generally, you know, when we when we talk about um, things like coercive control, mm. particularly tends to happen quite gradually in a relationship. Yeah. You know, it tends yeah. not to all happen overnight. Mm. So by the time a, a survivor realises what's happening, it's yeah. already really entrenched in the relationship. Yeah. It can sort of infiltrate every part of, mm. of their life. It could infiltrate mm. their relationships with friends, with family members. Mm. You know, it could um, lead to them becoming isolated from friends and family members so they don't feel like they have anyone to talk mm. to, anyone to notice that things are... Mm. Um, things are maybe the person seeming different or seeming mm. out of character so it can be really difficult to spot it can be difficult yeah. as, as professionals we mm. know that it can be difficult to mm. spot um, mm. and it can be difficult for survivors to spot as yeah. well um, 
and that's why I think just awareness is so important yeah. being aware of what domestic abuse can look like mm. and being really aware that it's it's not your fault you know mm. if, if you do experience abuse the only person who is to blame is the perpetrator mm. because that sense of shame and that sense of mm. self-blame that we might experience can lead us to feel that we don't want to talk to anyone yeah. about it yeah you know um yeah. um so bearing in mind that it is it is not your fault yeah um, and if you do need to access support there is support out yeah. there from organizations like I and who so who could support someone in that situation if someone's listening to this thinking actually maybe some of this is going on for me in my life right now and I don't want to make a big fuss but like where could that person gather a bit more information or have a chat with someone or what what could someone do if they felt like that yeah absolutely so if you're listening to this and you have experienced any behaviors in your relationship or in your family that maybe you've recognized during this conversation or anything that's sort of worried you or stuck with you there's support that's available all over the UK, mm. but at IDAS we cover the areas of Sheffield, mm. Barnsley, um, York and North Yorkshire. So if you're based in those areas, IDAS are around mm. to help. Mm. You can start by viewing our website if mm. that feels comfortable. It's mm. just idas.org.uk. That's got loads of information about domestic abuse, about sexual violence, mm. about the support that is on offer from mm. IDAS. Um, and ways to get in, in touch with us. Right. We've also got a helpline. Um, we've also got a um, referral form on our website so you mm. can refer yourself mm. in that way. Um, alternatively, a professional that you're working with can also refer you in. Right. Uh, but if you feel comfortable referring yourself in, that's great too. We'll then get in touch with you. Um, mm. We will usually run through a, a risk assessment. Um, mm. It's called a DASH. Mm. Um, this is just a set of questions to establish as yeah. much information about your situation as we can. Yeah. And it's designed to help us as professionals work out what risk level you are. And that, that is going to inform the support that mm. is offered. Mm. And the support's always going to be tailored to your situation. Right. So, for example, you know, if you feel that you do want to stay in the relationship, particularly mm. if you've got a new baby and leaving the relationship doesn't mm. feel realistic to you, we're not going to insist that you do that. Yeah. Our support isn't going to hinge on you leaving the relationship. Mm. We understand the reasons why that yeah. might not even be on the cards. Yeah. But what we can support with is, you know, just providing a listening ear. Mm. We can provide practical support. Mm. Um, we can provide emotional support. We can come out and meet you. You can come to your home or we can meet out and about. Yeah. Um, we can refer into our group work programs. Yeah. So we have group work for survivors. Um, mm. We also have coffee mornings and meetings and things yeah. like that. So there's lots of different ways that we can support yeah. you. Um, and it's really important that you get in touch with us and, mm. and don't feel that you'll be made to do anything that yeah. you, you're not comfortable I with. I think that is the fear, isn't it? And mm -hmm. I, um, from my own personal experience, when I was quite a lot younger, I was a teenager, in fact, I recognise now I was in a, an abusive relationship and... There was some slight physical elements to it, but a lot of it was coercion and control. Mm -hmm. um, and we were very young, we were 16. You know, it's, I think, I didn't even know what domestic abuse was at that point. But also I think when my friends would maybe go, oh, that's not okay. I just didn't want to kick up a fuss. I didn't want to, I didn't want him to be more angry at me for saying anything. And I think there was that fear of, if I say anything to my friends, what if it gets back to him? Mm -hmm because I'm not sure what I want to do yet. And this is, the, you know, the stakes here are very low. You know, it was, abuse is abuse, but we were young. There was no children involved. There was no marriage. There was no money. There was no, those types of things involved. But I still didn't want him to be angry at me. Mm -hmm. um, so if someone does come to you for support, is is that confidential support? Is there any way that it, the, the person who is potentially the abuser to find out that, you know, 
someone's yeah. comment. Yeah, no, it's always completely confidential. Right. We take, obviously, confidentiality, mm. information sharing really, really mm. seriously. So nothing would be done without that person's Nothing would be done without the, um, the person's consent. Um, mm. The only time that it could be is if the, the, you know, the survivor themselves or anyone else is at high risk right. of serious harm. And in yeah. those situations, information may need to be shared, but that's something that we'll always talk to you about um, at the time. Nothing yeah. will be done without yeah. your knowledge. So I, th- I think, I, like... I'm always asking questions from myself, my own point of view. I think, like, if someone had talked to me at that time about these things, I think maybe I would have wanted to dip my toe to be like, I would like to talk to someone to just tell them everything and sort of gauge their reaction of, like, how bad is it type of thing. And, I mean, it it's not, none of it's great, <laughs> you know, but I think, for me anyway, as a woman, I'm in a society where I'm sort of told to just keep quiet and carry on mm-hmm. and don't make a fuss mm-hmm. and women are hormonal and hysterical and all those things yeah. and yeah. you know all those really frustrating annoying um stereotypes that are still unfortunately around us if i wanted to just sort of dip my toe and ask and and check like oh is is this a service that i might need or not you know idas would be there to, to do that with yeah yeah absolutely so we can just you can call up for a chat you yeah know, we can offer you some advice yeah we can do safety planning over the phone without you kind of having been you know assigned an idva yeah. for example an independent yeah. domestic violence advocate we're a voluntary service at the end mm. of the day so yeah. if you if you don't want to work with us or if you decide mm. that you know you've got the support that you need from yeah. us you decide that you don't want to work with us yeah. after all if there's no then, yeah then there's no obligation on yeah. you to continue yeah. obviously we would say you know we want to support you until you feel mm. safe and you no longer need mm. our support but we understand you know, a lot of what you were talking about before, the barriers to reporting, the reasons why we don't feel able to talk to anyone, we understand those. We understand how scary it can be to think about talking to anyone about the abuse that you face. We understand that. And even if you, you know, you you then change your mind, maybe you think, oh, I actually don't want to work with you. Then a little bit further down the line, you change your mind and you do actually want Mm. support. Again, we'll happily... Yeah, um, it's there. We'll we'll happily support you. So, yeah, um, please don't feel feel put off or alarmed. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, are there specific times in someone's life where abuse is more likely? Mm. Um, So I'm thinking, you know, maybe around quite big events like trying to conceive or maybe a a loss, a miscarriage or birth of a baby, becoming parents, you know, those quite big things that can happen in your life. Is abuse more likely in those times? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we know that pregnancy mm. is a time of real high risk for survivors right. of domestic abuse. Right. Um, pregnancy and up to 18 months after right. birth. So 30% of domestic abuse begins in pregnancy. Wow. So that's a real, really yeah. quite a stark number. Wow. At a time when you would think that, you know, a partner yeah. is wanting to protect their, their pregnant yeah. partner, you know, wow. actually we see abuse beginning. It could be that the abuse wasn't present in a, in a relationship mm. um, and then it starts during pregnancy or right. it could be that you know the relationship has been abusive mm. and then what we might see during pregnancy is that the abuse gets worse right. it becomes more severe it becomes more frequent mm. Mm. and um, 20 to 30 percent of um, pregnant people who've experienced abuse have experienced physical abuse right. and 14 percent of those have experienced really severe physical wow. abuse so life-threatening yeah. Abuse. So not only is that obviously going to be hugely harmful and traumatic for mum, mm. it's going to cause harm to the baby yeah. um, in the womb. And obviously if they're then born into yeah. that situation, it can cause huge impacts on um, a child in their, you know, when they're really young, but also yeah. into their adult life. It's yeah. obviously the experience yeah. of 
domestic abuse in the home is um, classed as an adverse childhood experience mm -hmm. with all of the complications that mm -hmm. that might bring. So the, that time of pregnancy is a real high risk time mm -hmm. and it's, it's crucial that um, pregnant people get the support that they need and that we're asking the right questions. Yeah. You know, I, I believe I believe it's across the UK, midwives do yeah. routine inquiry. Yeah. So if you're pregnant, you should be being yeah. asked by a midwife. Yeah. If you've ever experienced any abuse, you should have that time with them one-on-one yeah. -on -one when your partner's not, yeah. not there. So you can talk to I them I do privately. remember that being asked, you know, do you feel safe at home? Who's Good. in the house? Yeah. How do you feel? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, if you, you know, if you're asked that question, if you do have the opportunity, we understand that it can feel mm. frightening. But if mm. you are experiencing anything mm. like that, you know, um, please try to, um, yeah. to to talk to someone about what's happening. Because it's really important for, for your safety, but mm. also for, for baby's safety as mm. well. Yeah. And something else that... Um, I wanted to talk to you about maybe you haven't experienced this but words like survivor mm -hmm. or victim do you find those that are in that situation find though that terminology those words hard to say hard to take because i know my own experience when i finally realized actually yeah i have birth trauma i've been traumatized by my birth i felt i wasn't worthy of that and for so long i and i hear this with so often with the with the families that I support, they don't want to give it that title because someone's always had it worse. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to make a fuss and it could have been so much worse and other people have, you know, worse situations, worse stories. So, you know, I don't want to say it's trauma, but actually it is. Trauma is trauma. And mm -hmm. others may have in your mind what you think is a worse situation, but you are still allowed to feel the way you feel and yeah. you did feel the way you felt. And and I, I know myself, I sort of, find it a bit like, oh, you know, the word survivor, for me, I wouldn't ever call myself a domestic abuse survivor, even though I recognise there were signs of domestic abuse in a relationship that I've previously been in. Mm -hmm. Do you find that's quite common? Yeah, I mean, I think there's some words that can really mm. um, feel really powerful for yeah. us. Um, and some people don't really, they don't identify with those words. And yeah. that's, it really depends on the individual. Yeah. So some organisations, you know, across the domestic abuse mm. uh, spectrum will use uh, victim or survivor or many organisations are starting to hyphenate it. So mm. saying victim survivor. Mm. Um, and it very much depends on how that person feels. Yeah. You know, do they feel um, that they are a survivor? Do they feel that they have survived mm. the domestic abuse? Because some people may have actually got really sort of ongoing um, mm. harm as a result yeah. of the abuse, you know, PTSD and things yeah. like that. So they may not feel that mm. the word survivor is appropriate mm. for them. Mm. Likewise, many clients do not want to think of themselves as a victim. Yeah. They don't want the, the sort of stigma that comes yeah. with that. So yeah. when we talk about survivors or victims of domestic abuse, it's really with the caveat that, you know, if it doesn't, if, if you don't yeah. feel that it applies to you, mm. if you don't feel that it chimes mm. with you, you can describe yourself yeah. however you want. It's, it's just yeah. finding a word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, I guess it's just, we, we just need to have a word to yeah. describe the people. Yeah, we talk about. a lot yeah. here about trauma, the word trauma and, how do we use that and we know some don't recognize that word within their own experience but others do um and even to the point of service user we we as a sort of staff here like really struggle with that word those words service mm -hmm. user because it's so i don't know it takes away so much from yeah, the people clients, that come here like you know client client, yeah so impersonal, but then so. it's what other words do, do yeah, we use yeah. and it's, um, it's, it's, it's a tricky one, it isn't it? It is a tricky one. I and think I think it's it all... Case by case. A lot of the words survivor, victim, trauma, is very emotive. And like you said, it 
really depends on the individual and how they the connotations they have around that word and what they feel and and someone might have started their journey feeling very much as a victim and maybe down the line feel like a survivor yeah, and, and that can be a hugely yeah. empowering feeling, you know, if you think, no, I am I am a survivor, I yeah. have survived this yeah. domestic abuse. And I think, you know, in my experience as well, for working with those that have experienced trauma and they really struggle to use the word trauma to start with and, and maybe don't recognise their experience as a traumatic birth or a traumatic experience, actually down the line, they, they do get a lot from going, do you know what, that was traumatic and mm-hmm. I have experienced birth trauma and I'm going to reclaim some of that yeah. and, yeah. Um, you know, take ownership of this experience that happens that, I didn't want to happen and it was difficult and awful, but I'm going to lean into it almost and take this and, and to be empowered by yeah, it. Yeah, and it can be hugely supportive to yeah. have that kind of that, that kind of language and to, mm. to realise how it does apply to you. Again, it won't it won't work for everyone. No. Um, but I guess that's, I mean, language can be so powerful. Yeah. It? And I think, yeah. again, it's just, it's just getting to know um, the mm. individual and what kind of language they're mm. comfortable with and trying to respect yeah. that as much as we can. Yeah. yeah. Another thing I wanted to ask you around domestic abuse, obviously there is again that stereotype of it's male abusing a female and they're in a relationship. Obviously that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, around sort of perinate, the perinatal world, pregnancy and parenthood, do you often see, see domestic abuse when it's not necessarily male-female in a relationship situation? Do you see it maybe with... Grandma, you know, mother of the mum, you know, grandma and mum, or or siblings, or or yeah. other. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, particularly in you know, in the context that we're talking mm. about now, in the sort of perinatal mm. um, uh, world, if you like, um, we can we can see abuse that's being perpetrated. It, you know, it could be that there's a same sex couple, mm. maybe mm-hmm. um, a female being abused by a female. That mm-hmm. certainly happens. We know yeah. that it does, and that abuse can be no less serious, mm. no less harmful. Mm. Um, needs to be taken every bit as seriously but what is also important to remember is that domestic abuse isn't just about abuse that takes place within intimate relationships mm-hmm. or ex-intimate relationships it also takes place within the family yeah. and that's something that I think can be overlooked sometimes so yeah. someone could be being abused by their own sibling for example mm. or their parent or their in-law mm. or um, what we commonly see um, is particularly older people older women yeah. being abused by their own children their right. adult children yeah um, but for the purposes of what we're talking about now, it could be that, yeah, somebody is exerting control, for example, or maybe mm. even uh, physical abuse on a victim mm. who is maybe a family member. Mm. And we see sometimes, um, particularly with, with domestic abuse, we do sometimes see um, honour-based abuse mm. in some scenarios um, that can obviously become more severe, uh, mm. become more uh, dangerous during pregnancy. The yeah. same, you know, honour-based abuse is a form of domestic abuse mm. where um, someone's let's say someone's behaviour or their situation or the way they like to present is seen as shameful to their family or to their community. And the family may then take steps to win back that sense of honour. And that can involve different forms of abuse that can be quite severe. Um, And this will will happen within the family. So, yeah, it's important to remember that it's... We tend to think of, you know, man, woman, husband, wife, that that's domestic abuse. And and certainly, you know, that, that, of course, that does happen. Um, but there are situations that we might not be as familiar with as well mm. that's important mm. to be aware of. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's those cultural nuances here that are all going into play and it's it's a really, it's it's not just cut and dry, it's not black yeah. and white yeah. of this yeah. is abuse and this isn't. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think about a lot of situations where you might have 
you know, grandma or mother-in-law and you've just had your new baby and they can be very, right, I'm going to step in and I'm going to help you. But their help, in quotes, is actually quite controlling and it's very dismissive of maybe that individual and their decisions and their parenting styles. And, you know, sometimes that can escalate to a mm. point where it can become really quite traumatic and severe and, and really unhealthy. Um, I know, like, I have seen that happen but that person would never have said, oh, you know, my mom or my mother-in-law is abusing me or abusing the situation. It was just, you know, they're just a bit, they're a bit much and they don't know when to stop and this is how they did it in their way. And again, easily to sweep it under the rug of just, oh, this is how it is. And maybe it's that cultural idea of grandma knows best. Yeah, yeah, cultural yeah. and generational yeah. ideas as yeah. well, yeah. Um, but again, I guess the thing to remember with domestic abuse is that the, the mm. perpetrators or the person who's mm. causing the abuse, yeah. their aim is to yeah. exercise that power and control mm. over another person. Mm. So it could be that, you know, again, it's really difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Because there can, there can be such a fine line between yes. something that is actually really just a family member yeah. trying to show genuine yeah. concern and support yeah. and then actually becoming yeah. dominating yes. and, and actually controlling that person's life. Yeah. So. But essentially, if something that someone is doing to you feels uncomfortable mm -hmm. um, and it feels um, it's making you feel, you know, potentially frightened or like yeah. you can't live your own life, then that's mm. potentially a warning sign yeah. uh, that something big is going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's so um, complex, isn't it? Mm. So yeah, complex. Absolutely. And there's so many different things that can happen that have to be just really thought about and reflected upon and. I guess as, you know, probably as parents and just as adults generally, we're all so busy. We don't reflect on things very much or we might think, oh, that made me feel a bit weird, but, you know, carry on because that's what we do. And I think as a culture, that is just what we <laughs> do. Yeah, and particularly around on. the time when you've just had a, a yeah. baby as well. You know, there's, there's so little yeah. time for yourself. Yeah. You know, you might yeah. struggle to just you know, have a cup of tea, let alone yeah. consider Just your think, relationship oh, actually, and leaving. Yeah. And, and relationships yeah. often are strained when a new baby's mm -hmm. in, involved and there's all the sort of quote-unquote normal strains of being put on your relationship. You're tired and you're busy and everything's sort of gone up in the air because mm -hmm. this baby's arrived. And I think it is, a, you know, really reflecting and thinking, okay, where is my relationship at or where is the relationship with this person at and how is it making me feel? And actually, is this, okay yeah do i feel safe yeah. do i feel that i'm safe do i feel that my my yeah. baby is safe yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's uh, it's very uh, complex isn't it absolutely what about maybe those individuals that might be listening to this or or maybe you have experiences that are thinking maybe i'm maybe i'm being quite controlling mm. in my relationship maybe i'm the perpetrator here and it might not be something they're aware of it might be learned behavior it might just be something that they've done as a coping strategy and actually they're recognizing that this is not okay and mm -hmm. this actually might be abusive yeah is that something you see it is i mean it's not at idas we work with with victims right. and survivors we don't mm. work directly with perpetrators but yeah. there is support available okay. for people who are yeah. concerned about their own behavior right. and the first and i guess well the most important step here is that acknowledgement that my behavior, mm. I'm uncomfortable with my own mm. behavior, I'm concerned mm. about, because we, we know that there might be factors, there might be yeah. reasons yeah. Um, why, you know, particularly why um, during this time that we're talking about a pregnancy and childbirth, mm. that relationships might become mm. strained. 
but there's no excuse for abusing somebody. No. Um, and if you are concerned about your behaviour, then it's really important to access that support. There is an organisation um, called Cranston in Sheffield, and they right. run a programme called Inspire to Change, right. um, which is available for people who are, are concerned about yeah. their behaviour or yeah. they might have perpetrated yeah. abuse. So um, seeking out that support is going to be a really mm. important step. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just that other side of it, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That, you know, we're all people and we all are trying our best in most cases, but there might be those times where someone goes, hang on, I've recognised something in myself and I've reflected on myself and it's this is something that needs to change or be looked at. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And then yeah. getting that support is really going to be really important mm. because, of course, many of the perpetrators that we we come across never have that realisation. No. You know, they no. never recognise that they've done anything wrong. No. Um, so if you you have noticed that, then then mm. it's really important that you take those steps yeah. to, to address the behaviour and get the support that you need. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's been so interesting talking to you about this. I feel there's so many things that I would love to delve into even deeper. Um, but we will definitely put links in the episode description so people can find you at IDAS. And, and here at Light, we are, we're all trained um, now by you. So we have got a better understanding of, you know, actually what might be domestic abuse what where there might be concerns and what to do you know if someone does come and talk to to one of us at light about it um but so thank you so much for the work that you do and the time that you've given me today it's uh it's really insightful really useful thank you for yeah. having me it's been a real pleasure i'll just say um we've mentioned you know if you are a survivor um of abuse various ways to get in contact again our website is idas.org.uk um, if you are a professional in Sheffield or Barnsley or any of the areas where we work, there's training that's available for free. Um, and you can find all of our upcoming training at courses.idas.org.uk. Um, just make sure that you're on the, those different sections of the website. So there's a Sheffield section, for example. Just make sure that you're on the right section. Uh, we run training on all sorts of different topics around domestic abuse. And it'll probably be me that's training you. So, uh, so do sign up and come along. Yeah, and I definitely recommend it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to On A Lighter Note podcast. Brought to you by Light a pre- and postnatal peer support charity covering Sheffield, Rotherham, Doncaster and the surrounding areas. If you feel you'd like to learn more about light or any of the topics discussed in today's episode, please see the links in the episode description.